0: And lo and behold, man, I become the head coach at 26, 27 years old. And the mission, get as many kids out of the hood, out of the disenfranchised neighborhoods, out of those those tough situations, bring them to somewhere new, mentor them, make sure I'm right there with them the entire time and make sure they're all on your trajectory to get college degrees.
1: Hey everyone, this is Brian Atkinson, the host of Park Rose Life Podcast. Today's guest is Donnell Morgan, and he and I met last year working on the Park Rose Arge development study coming up with great ideas for our neighborhood and the future of how this space is going to look. I was struck by his consistent advocacy for the youth here and always including their dreams and their vision for our neighborhood. He is the executive director of Elevate Oregon at Park Rose High School. They also work at the middle school and the four elementary schools in Park Rose, mentoring kids, improving their outlook on life and their future prospects. He's also the boys basketball coach at Park Rose and basketball has been a big part of his life. He's traveled the world from it. So he's taken all of these life lessons and wisdom he's gained from being in all different settings and cultures and communities and bringing it home to Park Rose. So with that, I want to welcome Donnell Morgan to the show. All right. Donnell Morgan, welcome to the Park Rose Life Podcast, man.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So I want to talk hoops and I want to talk about <laughs> your mentorship through Elevate Oregon, but maybe you can kind of set the scene for me and tell the listeners a little, about, little bit about your life. Where did you grow up?
0: Wow, man, it's, it's, it's a unique story. I, I was bo- born in New Orleans, Louisiana. And my family, my mother, she had me when she was 19. So just like any kid, you know, today, born to younger parents, African American, uh, she saw a different, a different path for me, and she ended up relocating me uh, and my, my, my young my middle brother at the time uh, to Tacoma, Washington. I had an uncle that was stationed in, at Fort Lewis, a military base in the Army. And she flew out, took a visit, and this is where she wanted to be to give us an opportunity to to live a better life, get a better education, and and really to cultivate relationships of in, in a different way. So I grew up uh, partly in Louisiana, partly in uh, in Washington, and yeah, man, it, it's been a, a good. I had a good childhood. I had a great childhood. I cannot complain.
1: Wow. So. Haven't been to New Orleans. It's actually number one on my bucket list to go on vacation there soon. But I have been to Joint Base lewis McCord.
0: <laughs> and I'm guessing those are two very different places. Two very different places, but very um, very similar in 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 the neighborhoods. You know, Tacoma, Washington, in in the '80s, early '90s is a mini New Orleans at the end of the day. you know there was a lot of gun violence, a lot of gang, uh, a lot of gang uh, violence, police brutality in New Orleans really no different. But the difference was is that you had an opportunity. you know we had people that would would, would pour into us. We had people that really looked out for us in, in, in Washington and though Tacoma had its rough spots, we were we were able to navigate it. Um, from being from a, a tough, tough area in New Orleans. So um, very, very different, but but very, um, uh, they're both unique places.
1: Similar challenges.
0: Similar challenges.
1: So you just said, so your mom, she moved you very intentionally. She was doing the best she could for you. And you also said you had a lot of other people in your community who were looking out for you, supporting you. Was that through a program, something similar to Elevate Oregon? Or when you're thinking of the main positive influences you had in that time of your life, were those mm-hmm. just neighbors or people who decided to kind of put their arm around you just out of a uh, relationship on it?
0: Definitely not like Elevate Oregon, more through athletic coaches, boys and girls clubs, different after school events my mom would uh, put me into. Soccer was a big deal. It was the first time I ever played any type of organized sports. So I got to meet kids that didn't look like me, a coach that didn't look like me, but definitely showed a lot of interest in me and uh, pumped a lot of confidence in me. I was fortunate and blessed that my mom somehow found a way to put me through a private school. I went to a Catholic elementary school from first grade to eighth grade, and it taught me a lot that I didn't even realize what was happening to me at the time. But being in the classroom, being the only black kid and being the only uh, minority kid in my classroom put me on a trajectory that a lot of my peers in my neighborhood uh, was not subjected to. So I, I was getting the best of both worlds. I was living in the hood, so to speak, but getting on the bus and traveling to a, um, to a private school where. You can be in a classroom with white kids, uh, Filipino kids, Asian kids. So I was getting an education within an education, but didn't even understand it until obviously I got a little older and then more mature in life.
1: Wow. So I think maybe some of what you're getting at in terms of having those experiences where you got to be with kids who weren't in your neighborhood. You kind of learned to navigate different cultural settings, maybe, or figure out how different people from different cultures and different stations in life
0: communicate. (laughs) Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, it's funny because some of my younger uh, childhood friends were white, you know, in in, in the school because that's where I spent a lot of my time, whether it was, you know, obviously in school, on the playground, after school, you're hanging out, maybe going spend a night at uh, each other's homes, your soccer team. But then you're also living in a neighborhood, man, where everybody is, it looks like you. So it it was, I was getting, like I said, the best of both worlds. You were getting people that you never thought would pour into you that would even talk to you in New Orleans. And it was never like that. I never even seen a white person, to be very honest with you, until I moved to the Northwest. So to be able to go to a school that was predominantly white, white teachers to all of a sudden your friends don't look like you different different paths in life they're living in the suburbs you're seeing different 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 things man how, how they live but then you're going back to your neighborhood and it's like man I got to get out of here at some point you know but it was the it was the it was the right place to be at the right time and I don't change I wouldn't change anything about it
1: wow that is unique what okay so fast forward a little bit when did you start playing basketball pretty competitively and start thinking, hey, maybe maybe basketball can take me somewhere?
0: Fourth grade is the first time I ever played organized. We lost every game. <laughs> and uh, by my fifth grade, sixth grade year, that's when I knew this is what I want to do. I basically quit every sport that I was playing. I tried soccer, I tried baseball, tried softball, tried football, but I knew that basketball was something that I wanted to do. It was something that I can do on my own. You know I didn't have to have a lot of people to go do it. All I needed was a ball, some water and a curfew. you know and so I can go to the park and play basketball all day. You know I didn't need friends and I really think me and that me and that basketball, we became one. It became a, a way for me to get out it became a way to re- to release stress, to release tension. If I was angry, I can go run up and down that 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 basketball court. And it was crazy, man, because sixth, seventh grade, I'm actually on the court from 10 a.m. to probably 8 p.m. by myself playing full court in the winter time. It didn't matter. That it's, it's just something that I just grew um, a love for and affiliation to, and it was something that I just could not live without. Wow,
1: that's dedication from a young age and some pretty clear vision too. I mean, I also wanted to be a basketball player when I was in fourth grade and I didn't have the same dedication that you did, not at all. So you ended up getting a
0: a college scholarship to play, is that right? I did. um, I had a, a great, I would say I grew from my ninth grade year the summer of the ninth grade year, I grew from 5'11 to 6'2, 6'3. And that's when it really took off. You know, I would say my my junior year, I started varsity. My senior year, I was predicted to be one of the best players in the state. And with those expectations comes um, practice. You know, you have to really gauge your mind to know that every night, People are going to be geared to come at you, to stop you. You, you But it was something that I just enjoyed. I, I, I relished the challenge. I wanted to be challenged. And through all the hard work from being a fourth grader to graduating high school and earning, and I always tell kids this, no one give you anything. I earned it. I earned a scholarship. I sacrificed not going to school dances. I sacrificed not hanging out with friends. While they were doing a party thing, I was at the YMCA late night shooting and, and, and playing with the older guys. And um, I truly earned uh, a basketball scholarship. And you also have to keep your grades up in school. So there's a lot of dedication, time, effort, focus. And that was the end result was to earn that that scholarship. And I wanted to make sure my parents never had to pay for me to go to school because I had two younger brothers by then.
1: Wow. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got some great life experience to pass on to the kids for you're working with for today. For sure, definitely. I'm, I'm cheating a little bit because you and I are friends on LinkedIn, and I saw, is this right, you played basketball professionally
0: overseas? I did. Um, unique experience. Once again, you never know the lesson behind what you're doing at, at the time. Just like any kid from the hood, you know, from, from where I came from, you always want man. I want to. I want to play this game and make money doing it. And it's crazy sometimes when you when you put so much dedication and hard work into it, prayer, uh, and having faith in your ability, having faith that this is a gift. You just might get what you ask for. And I got that. I got that, man. And it was it was kind of scary as I'm on this plane getting ready to go to uh, Concepcion, Chile. I'm thinking to myself on this plane ride. Wow, a kid from New Orleans with nothing, with a 19 year old mom, moved me to the Northwest, hustled to make sure I, would have, I was getting a great education. I pay it forward by continuing to do the right thing. Now I'm in this position, blessed to be going to be a professional athlete. And once I got there, man, it was a totally different deal. I started to see poverty on another level. I started to see that we are truly blessed here in America far more than we, we could ever imagine, we have more than we need. So all of a sudden I'm making this money, I'm being cheered in these arenas, but then you walk out and you walk to your, they call them flats or apartments, and you're walking down some, some real serious tough territory, tougher than you can ever imagine in your own neighborhood and, you're think, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I have to do so. This cannot be it for me. Basketball. I feel like God put basketball in my life for a reason. And when I graduated college, I got to really see that the world needs help. We need help. We got to make sure our kids are on the right path. We're teaching them the right things. And I knew at the age of twenty-two years old that basketball was a was a was a vehicle to get me to the next place for my next uh, journey in life, which is what I'm doing today.
1: Wow, that's pretty remarkable. That's so much determination, you know, from fourth, fifth, sixth grade knowing you wanted to be a baller to being 22 years old, when most of us are still really figuring out our values, maybe some of us making some poor decisions that we regret later on, you took a really different approach to life and just said, I've been blessed and wanted to be part of the solution. But you were living in Chile, Mm -hmm. which is so far removed from Washington State or Idaho or Oregon, What, at that time, did you have any inclination of how you're gonna go about doing this? Because it can be kind of, uh, I was gonna say, kind of overwhelming to realize that much poverty, to to
0: go to somewhere with dire poverty. Where do you start? You know, it started, for me, my junior year in college. I did have to go to a community college. Back then in the early 90s, there was a rule called Proposition 48. And of course, the late John Thompson, who, who was, my, who was a, a guy I looked up to, Georgetown is still my favorite college team for a number of reasons. Um, but John Thompson actually walked out of a game be, to, to protest that rule. And I was one of the kids that um, fell victim to that particular rule. I had great grades, man. I went to school every day. I graduated with, with a 2.8 GPA, not the best, but not the worst either and a test told me that I wasn't ready to go to the division one level. I was getting scholarships from the University of Washington, Oregon State, you name it. All those schools that all the big boys was getting. I mean, heck man, I was one of the best players in my in my state my senior year, but I had to go to junior college route and I had to go to a rural America, Roseburg, Oregon. No, no black people, no one that looks like me. First time I'm out off the block and then I earned my associate's degree there, went on to Idaho State, again, in the middle of nowhere. No one looks like me, but my team looked like me. So I gravitated to my guys a lot, the guys on the the basketball team, on the football team. Leaving college is a whole different classroom. So now I get the chili, but the one thing, the one thing that was constant out of all that was kids. Kids would come to the game. Kids would pull on you, wanting your wristband, wanting your autographs from high school until Chile. And it never stopped. And that, that's the funny thing. Even though I was afraid, I'm a far away from home, I'm scared. Kids would come into the gym and their game is soccer. They're big soccer fans over there. So they would, I'd be up early in the morning. I would get my workout in, run my three miles a day, lift weights. And by... 8 or 9 o'clock, I'm in the gym shooting my 1,000 uh, to, to 2,000 shots. And that's when the little kids would come in. They'll shift the gym into a, a mini soccer uh, arena. And we didn't speak any—I didn't speak any Spanish at the time. They didn't speak English, but we learned to communicate by— they put me into the goal and basically told me to stop it. So, I mean, these kids, man, they're about up to my knees, you know, at the time— But one kid kicked that ball so hard, man, and I just had to let it go, you know, and they're all laughing and I'm laughing and that's the common interest right there. It's not about your race, your color, it's about they saw me as a person that they could have fun with. I saw them as people that made me feel comfortable being in this country and it just continued on from Chile to Honduras, kids, from Honduras to New Zealand, from New Zealand to Malta, Malta to Uruguay, Uruguay to Iceland, and then finishing my career back in uh, Honduras, it was always kids. It was always kids around. And I knew when I called it quits after a five-year career, I'm sitting on that airplane and I'm thinking, okay, what are you gonna do now? What's your next step? I knew I was done. I knew I was done. I knew this. that was my last time. And as I sat on that airplane, I'm like, "What am I gonna do? All my peers have started their careers five years ago. All my career, all my peers have started their professions and gotten masters, and they're doing this. But what I had to do was get on my knees and pray for for the guidance, for the vision, and what I was gonna do. And kids was a natural thing. Wow. How and what capacity? Well, that was that was that was God's plan, and I just had to follow it."
1: That's a vul- vulnerable place
0: to be to just admit I don't know. I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there was and that's what I try to tell kids. It's okay if you don't know what you want to do. No one's asking you to say, "Hey, I'm going to be a doctor today." And then you get into that process. See, it's the process. Once you get going into the process, you might learn you like doing something else. But it doesn't mean you're not a success or a failure if you don't hit the goal that you want all of a sudden you're putting yourself in this in this pecking order and you're doing certain things and you're in, in your rep in this reputation and you're doing it and all of a sudden you know what I really like doing this part of the journey but does it mean because you didn't get to be, to be a doctor it doesn't mean you can't be a veterinarian hmm. or a dentist you know or 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 working with kids you know so it's just about your passion, giving yourself an opportunity. I think that's the that's the big word we use at Elevate Oregon, giving kids the opportunity to figure out what they want to do.
1: So let's fast forward a little bit. You had some opportunities to work with kids in different ways. Just to kind of summarize what I think I know about you, you got to coach basketball in places you'd been before in Roseburg at Ompaqua mm-hmm. Community College. You got to work at Boys and Girls Club in Tacoma. So that was the same building that you used to be shooting hoops in. So I'm assuming you took a lot of, from those two experiences. Let me first ask you, before we get to Park Rose, just kind of summarize for me those two jobs and
0: SEI, Mm -hmm. and what you learned from those experiences that you are bringing into Park Rose. So as I'm sitting on that airplane again, trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. So I land and I get home and i know that's it i know i'm done playing professionally the passion is gone to be a competitive basketball player just the passion i used to love practice and one morning i woke up and said gosh we have practice today and that's when i knew it was over for me the first job i ever had working with kids was for the state of washington at a uh, juvenile detention facility called echo Glen children's center now echo glenn is a place that you've heard of in your neighborhood. You know that if you do enough bad things and enough wrong, this is where you get sent. It's about an hour drive from Tacoma, which is where I live. It was an hour drive to get to work and an hour drive to get home. And it's in, um, I can't remember. I can't, the, 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 the town is is missing me right now as far as where it was, but it was an hour drive east east of um, of Tacoma. And I met a lot of kids that if they had a mentor, if they had an elevator organ, if they had someone that poured into them in a positive way, they would not be there. I've heard kids cry themselves to sleep. I mean, it's this is jail. This is a kid's jail. And during my time there, I spent seven months there. I learned a lot about where I'm at today in life. I learned I learned a lot about how lucky I was to have someone pour into me. Kids are kids at the end of the day. They they wanna be loved, they wanna be disciplined, they wanna be taught, they wanna be paid attention to. I stopped that job because it wasn't, it was, I feel like I I need to be on the other side. Mm. I need to be on the other side. I can tell this story now, it's funny how some people start their careers mentoring. I started my career at the end of it, what it looks like at the end. So now I can be a better mentor. And again, it, 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 this plan is bigger than me. You see, like I walked into saying, okay, I want to work with kids. I was shown this part. I could have stayed there, but I could do more on this side to prevent this. And which took me to roseburg actually i was at a high school basketball game my former high school was in uh, the state tournament and they won the state championship and i was like wow man this is incredible you know you fight so hard as a player but just to see kids from your high school from your neighborhood uh 10 years later win the state title it's like you won it yeah and after the game uh, shortly after, it wasn't my head coach, but it was the, the pre the, 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 that, uh, that came after my head coach. He noticed me in the crowd and he asked me to come speak to the team in the, in the coming weeks about what, what what it's gonna look like being a college athlete, you know, just those things. I'm like, wow, are you sure? He's like, man, you're the best person for this to do it for me. So as I'm sitting there talking to these seniors in my old high school, that's that that was surreal. It felt like wow man this is all unreal you know and as I'm speaking to these kids about next level about what these coaches are going to say what you should be looking for the class sizes you know those things are more important than what you're going to be hearing get through all the smoke and then come back down to earth and ask these questions to these coaches so my thing was even though I had a decent I would say above decent college career, I wanted to make sure they had an even better experience. And really, that took me to Roseburg. I actually called my old head coach and said, this is what I want to do, coach. This, I, I have to. Can I come down to Roseburg and, and learn from you? Wow, that's a lot of initiative. And he was like, absolutely. And basically, man, I quit my job working for the state and just moved back to Roseburg, full circle. Left in uh, 93, I'm back in 2000. And I did two years as an assistant coach and coach came to me and said, I think I'm gonna resign, but I'm gonna make sure you're put into the position to be the head coach. And lo and behold, man, I become the head coach at 26, 27 years old. And the mission, get as many kids out of the hood out of the dis- disenfranchised neighborhoods out of those 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 tough situation bring them to somewhere new mentor them make sure I'm right there with them the entire time and make sure they're all on your trajectory to get college degrees
1: of you started this interview, I asked you where you grew up and you said it's a unique story and it's getting more and more unique as we go to be a college hedge coach at the age of 26 years old. Mm-hmm. For one, you're, at that point, you're more of a peer mentor than what we normally think of as mentorship, right? Where someone's maybe quite a bit older than, you know, you're just recently out of these life experiences yourself. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I... That really stuck out to me that you just said was that you become a head coach and then your goal was basically to improve the lives of these, you know, not kids anymore, but young adults through exposing them to different life experiences, you know, really pouring into their lives with specific mentorship and being relational with them, caring for the athletes on your team. I don't think that's what most young coaches identify as their goal or even their purpose for trying to attain the role of head coach. I would maybe I I bet there's other people like you. I I I would assume, but most people I think, hey, I'm a head coach at 26 in Roseburg, Oregon. (laughs) That sounds like a great achievement, but also sounds like a stepping stone to maybe become a D1 head coach eventually in 10 years or, you know, that's kind of the trajectory I would assume that someone had in mind that was really different from your, what the trajectory you had in mind, which wasn't really much of a trajectory. It was actually just focused on others, not on yourself. Yes. Wow. Yes. So how did that work out? Because you you only get to have so many athletes on a basketball team, what, 15, something like that? Yeah, about 15. So... How did you go about recruiting and kind of manifesting that vision you had of getting kids from different places and giving them this opportunity? How did you go about doing that?
0: In the beginning, it was it was tough because everything in this world and this life is built on relationships. As a player, I had a relationship with coaches that I'm going to be coaching against now, um but I didn't have the relationships with the high school coaches. I didn't have relationships with the athletic directors. I had to go out and earn that. I had to go out and earn that relationship, earn that respect. What I was able to do was go back home, go back to Tacoma. So a lot of my teams, my my first few teams were, they resembled guys from my neighborhood. You know, of course I had been out that neighborhood for quite some time, but I was able to reach back with some uh, high school former teammates and good friends, and and I was able to get some some, some good players. Being in Oregon, up the road from Portland, I started to um, cultivate and leverage relationships with guys that are doing the AAU. That's when AAU really started to kind of take off a little bit, so I was able to do that. And really just word of mouth, once I got going after my first couple years, guys started to call me and and realize Number one, that these guys were going back home better men. And I always said that if the only thing you learn from me is how to shoot a jump shot, run a play, anything basketball related, if that's all you learn from me in a two-year period here, then I've totally failed you. So these guys are going back. They're moving on and going to different colleges. They're starting to see that. I didn't have to say too much anymore. You know, people started calling me, trying to send kids my way. And yeah, it, it was bigger. I always look at every situation, because Umqua Community College is still going. They still have a basketball team. And that's what I always tell kids, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than you. But while you're here, leave your mark. So when you do come back, you can come in this gym and say, Yep, I helped put that banner up here. Or, man, yeah, I remember the, the elementary schools we used to visit and all the basketball camps we used to do out here. Leave your mark where you're at so when you go back, it's not how you leave. I'm sorry, it's how you leave. If you leave in a certain way, you're going to get or accepted in a certain way. Yeah. When I left there, I can always go back. I always call Roseburg like a second home. You know, even though the people didn't look like me, there's a lot of love and a lot of people that have faith and confidence in me and poured into me to let my vision be manifested in that way. And it took a lot of white people to say, hey, yes, do it your way. We'll support you. And that's huge. That's huge when you're talking about. The early 2000s. Wow. So a lot of what you're talking
1: about really speaks to your character, that people trusted you and you gained the reputation of someone who cares about other people and their mentorship, their progression in life aside, out, outside the basketball court. You're talking about legacy. Those are big, big concepts for teenagers to get, you know, we not everyone has that forward mindset or can see the bigger picture of life while they're just trying to become a better basketball player with their goals. But as much as I love talking hoops, I should probably get us into our neighborhood. Absolutely. How did you land in Park Rose? And what made you want to take this job at Elevate Oregon?
0: How did I land at... Faith landed me here. That's number one. After uh, nine years in Roseburg, 2000 to 2009, I made the decision to call it quits as a basketball coach at that time, as a head coach. Again, as a player, I got to a point where practice was a job. It got to a point where coaching basketball wasn't enough as far as what I wanted to do impactful-wise. Mm-hmm. So I started looking for jobs, and which led me back to Tacoma Boys and Girls Club. It was the first time in my life that I wasn't associated with basketball since middle school. I wasn't playing, I wasn't coaching. I was a director of of the Boys and Girls Club. I didn't have practice, it was that. Basketball was always in the back of my mind, but I had was so worn out with basketball, I didn't even want to. I would go to the gym and work out and wouldn't even go step foot into the gym. That's where I was with basketball. I became the uh, the director of, um, of a Boys and Girls Club in Gig Harbor, Washington. That was my first assignment. In Gig Harbor, if you know anything about Washington and Tacoma, it's across the Narrows Bridge. So when you go across the Narrows Bridge, It doesn't look like us. (laughs) It's all white people again. So basically Roseburg to Gig Harbor. But I was able to bring kids together. We had a great time. And I think those kids saw an African-American male pouring into them. They all wanted to be a part of my program. And that that right there was a blessing in itself. Not knowing that they're actually building a brand new Boys and Girls Club in my old neighborhood as that club was being built, they came to me and they said, we would like you to be the program director of that new club when it gets built. And I was, I was honored, man. I mean, it, literally, I didn't know again at what I was going to do. I left basketball. I left Roseburg to come be a director of the boys and girls club in in, in Geek Harbor. I didn't think I was going to land in back in my old neighborhood and It was a dream job. I always tell people that was a dream job because I was able to leave, go do all these magnificent things and come right back here and now share it. Share it with the people that helped me. Share it with the turf, the concrete, the neighborhood. See old friends, see old coaches, see high school buddies, kids. Now I'm giving back to their kids. But there was just something missing. There was just something missing working at the Boys and Girls Club. And um, I, I didn't know what it was until the Portland Community College job came open. And I didn't know if I was still missing basketball or not, man. And I applied for it. As I'm applying for this job, a buddy of mine came into my office. We're still good friends to this day. And he's like, man, you need to check out SCI. And I'm like, what's SCI? This is like 2011, 2011-ish, 12. I'm like, what's SCI? S- SCI? And he's like, oh man, they would love you, man. Like, you, Danielle, they would they would eat you up. They would love you. So, you know, I researched it and I'm like, wow. That's something that like I've never seen in my life, man. Like, as far as a black man, Tony Hobson Sr., what he's doing for this community. I said to myself, I, I have to be there. They have a unique thing going on. Yeah, oh, unique like no other. I've never seen anything like that in my life, all black. And so I was called to PCC for an interview for the head coaching position. And I just happened to create a resume and dropped it off as self enhancement. And as I'm walking through this building, man, I'm looking at the photos of Malcolm X. I'm looking at the building. I'm looking at all black people walking through this building. I'm like, this is amazing. This, this, this is amazing. Right. I'm, I'm from from New Orleans and, and Tacoma, and I've never seen anything like this. And I dropped my resume off. I went to my interview at PCC. It went very well on the way back to Tacoma. Literally, it's a two and a half hour drive. Maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes into that drive, I got a call from PCC saying that they want to do another interview. Immediately after that, I got a phone call from SCI saying they want me to come back for an interview. So I'm like, this this is amazing. I can literally be working at SCI and drive right up the street to coach PCC if everything works out. God had different plans. Hmm. Long story short, I didn't get the PCC job. SCI asked me to come on board. So I had to make a decision. Do I leave the dream job of being a director in my neighborhood? Or do I take a position as a mentor, just a low-level mentoring position at a great organization? I had some decisions to make, but what I was missing, SCI was providing, and I took the lesser, I had to, I had to say, you know what? I can always come back here. I can I always say to myself, I can always come back to this position, but I'm have to go down a level to learn where I need to go. And they taught me how to be more intentional in my work. They taught me how to mentor, how to become a key figure in a kid's life. They taught me how to be a, a friend, a teacher, and a parent to kids. At different levels, you're going to be that if you're doing the job correctly.
1: Sounds like, Just, wow, I mean, for the humility to go from someone with the title of executive director in a great setup you already got going to go to kind of the entry-level position in something that you've, in a field you've already been working in, that's tough to swallow. It was tough. But what one thing I'm hearing is that in all these experiences you had, it was your character and you had had people building into you for sure, but you had never really been trained extensively, it sounds like, in the things that you just mentioned of how to be an excellent mentor. You were just kind of working off the goodness of your heart and mm-hmm. probably some aptitude for knowing how to work with kids and things like that. But SEI really gave you the platform to be able to do what you wanted to do even
0: even better. And, and I always say this I always, this, this, I always say this, to be a great leader, you have to learn to be led. I was a head basketball coach out of college, went to be a program director. I'm still pretty high up on that food chain to say I'm taking all this to go all the way down to the bottom, to really break myself down, to truly learn how to do this job, to really learn how to be a good mentor. I had the raw skills. What SCI did was fine tune them. And I had to take a step back and listen and learn. And when my opportunity came, um, I was able to, I started, so I moved to Portland in 2012. I took the opportunity to come to SCI in 2012 and worked my way there. And four years later, I was asked um, by a good friend of mine, Marcy Bradley, who was also a former employee at Self-Enhancement. To come to Park Rose, which I lived here already. When I moved here in 2012, I actually moved into the Park Rose community. Oh wow! And it was interesting because I'm driving up um, Sandy Boulevard to Lombard. I'm driving up that street, and you're seeing all these black kids, you know, going to Park Rose. And I'm just like, wow, why are we here? Like, what, this is. I see a lot of black kids here. This is where we should be. And for Marcy Bradley to call me in 2016, present the opportunity, and it's something I had to think about because I loved what I was doing at SCI. It's, it's, again, I'm loving what I'm doing in Tacoma, but SCI called. I'm loving what I'm doing at SCI, but this opportunity called in my neighborhood. I accepted and my life has been changed since 2016. I became the program director of Elevate Oregon, which sits right smack dab here in the uh, community of Park Rose. And I've just tried to integrate myself into this community uh, the best way I can.
1: Wow, okay, so now the story is getting exciting for some of our Park Rose people who maybe still don't know much about Elevate Oregon. They're probably making some inferences from what your story is, but tell us, what does Elevate Oregon do?
0: Elevate Oregon, in, in if, if you, if, when you look at it, We're a community-based in-school mentoring program. We're currently in the high school where we have four mentors and we have cohorts of 25 to 30 kids at each grade level. So 9th, 10th, all the way to 12th. Each mentor, each teacher mentor has 25 to 30 kids. Why do we call them teacher mentors and what makes Elevate Oregon so unique is that we actually see our kids every day in a classroom setting. I have a great relationship with Park Road School District, this Park Road Superintendent, principals, and we have an MOU that Elevate Oregon has uh, an elective classroom where the kids come every day. They're graded in that classroom. In that classroom, we teach them leadership, leadership skills, Uh, preparing them to speak in front of large groups, career opportunities, guest speakers, and really a barrier breaker. Whatever barrier you have going on in your life, we're there to help you overcome it and get over that hurdle. So that mentor, that teacher mentor stays with the kid all the way through high school. So if I'm the ninth grade mentor, when we move to 10th grade, we go together. So you figure you have a person in your life a positive adult the same positive adult in your life from ninth grade for life basically because even when you graduate you still have a relationship with these kids it just doesn't stop absolutely same thing at the middle school we're getting you prepared for high school so we have two there cohort uh sixth grade 30 7th grade 30 8th grade 30 and those two mentors. They collaborate on those kids and they work with them all the way to the middle school. When that high school 12th grade mentor graduates their kids, they turn around and come and get the new incoming freshmen. That's what Elevate Oregon does in the school district. What we've been able to do is branch out and start doing more community-based opportunities. Black family socials, where we give families an opportunity to come pick up uh, essentials, Um, home goods, things like that, food, food pantries, and really just making sure we're connected with the family on education level, the social level, and making sure that their kids are advocated for with any type of discipline or or things that would keep them from succeeding in life. That's what Elevate Oregon is. Wow, that's really all-encompassing. That's holistic would be the word,
1: maybe. Yeah. It's not just a approaching their life from one small aspect of it, but that kind of day to day, every single day for years mentorship, you really get to know someone and gain trust, gain their trust, right? So if I'm a sixth grader or a freshman, how do I get into your program? Do I have to
0: be referred? Do I have to choose it myself? A lot of times, so what we've been able to do is, we do it a number of ways. Our older kids become advocates of our program, they become your loudest speakers about what the program is about. So we have a program called Little Lift, it's peer to peer. So we take kids in 10th grade to 12th grade, we break them up into groups about four or five and we go to every middle, every elementary school and the mentor, the adult mentor teaches the student in high school They in turn go to the elementary school and there's peer to peer. So by the time this kid gets to middle school, they're like, they'll see a kid with an Elevate Oregon shirt. Oh, I know about Elevate. I want to be in Elevate. So sometimes it's word of mouth, but also I've been able to connect with elementary school counselors, principals to see what a kid's attendance like, grades like and their overall uh, school situation is like. So we're there for that. That's our main focus is, is education, uh, their grades, and their attendance. So if you're deficient in those areas, you're going to be referred to Elevate Oregon, or we're going to come and say, hey, we know we've worked with this kid already in our Little Lift program. We would like to continue working with this kid for the variation of their, um, of their, uh, their school career. So it goes a little bit of hand in hand with um, – Sometimes parents just say, Hey, Danielle, can we what can, can we can my daughter's son get into elevate? She really needs that extra help. So sometimes word of mouth, a lot of it is just connecting with those lower level counselors and teachers and working with, you know, those people to make sure we're not in no kids are falling through the cracks that can uh, qualify for services.
1: What have been some of your favorite stories when you think about what you're doing with Elevate Oregon, what teenagers come to mind as someone who really benefited from Elevate Oregon?
0: Um, can I could say names? I don't know if I can say names. You don't have to. So yeah. yeah, I would say, you know, some of the best stories for me is a kid that was basically being going to be expelled. This this student was going to be expelled from the school district. And it was already said, I mean, it was already basically said you're expelled. This was just a hearing, just to hear us out, just to hear this out. As I sat that mother and this uh, and, and the student down the day before the hearing, what I had to make clear with them is that you're expelled right now. As of right now, you're expelled from, from school and we're looking at alternative education for you. They didn't quite get that. As we went into that meeting, once again, I have a great relationship with the superintendent, the high school principal. So as we're talking about this kid, as we're presenting the case for this kid, Elevate Oregon's voice in the room, save this young lady from, she was expelled. So. Not only did they overturn the expulsion, she graduated two years later. Wow, so you were able to advocate for her, and what,
1: I mean, she made it for two years, so she, some, she kept herself out of trouble for the most part for two years. Not necessarily, what? but you know, we that didn't knows, ask huh? her to be
0: perfect, but yeah. she, she, she's a better person today for that experience.
1: I think what sticks out to me about that story is it's not such a clean of someone was in this situation and I saved them and now they're perfect. It's actually, you know what, we were, the win of that story is that you kept her in Park Rose where she could continue benefiting from your mentorship and yes. the relationship, the positive relationship she yes. already had or could build. And it wasn't something that, switched in her that day when she realized crap i'm going to be expelled i need to be a good girl now it was the win was just keeping her in the, relationship yeah would you say
0: the the win was her knowing that no matter the circumstances we are going to see it through she and elevate we're all we're all together in this when we went into that meeting i told her and her mother we're prepared for whatever they say, whatever they deem as was going to happen, we're going to go to the next challenge, we're gonna do this together. That day, that parent, that kid, that district, the district, the community found out that it's not about us, it's not about our graduation rate, it's about lives. And I'll tell you a quick story, you know, with everything that's going on in the atmosphere today, we actually lost a kid to gun violence. I don't know if you've seen it on the news, uh, Shea India Harris. That kid is someone I met in the 10th grade. Was she perfect? No, she wasn't perfect. But if she walked in the room today and she smiled, she would light this whole room up. That's a work. And we, we worked with her from the 10th grade. Until she graduated, but COVID hits. And this' is what I was talking to my, 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 my staff about. Our, our, our work is life and death for some kids. When you lose connection from March until June, and you don't see a kid and then, and, and, and that's a kid that really benefited from, from having elevated organ in her life, when you don't see him, something else takes them something else will take them. And sometimes it's the wrong person and not being able to see the kids since they have that connection that, that, that sometimes it's his it's life and death work. I think
1: the need is clear, man. And I think if you're listening, you have a really clear picture of Donnell and who he is and his character and his love for the youth of our neighborhood and your staff. And we're getting a little bit short on time so I want to give you a shout out at the end so people can connect with you more. Okay. But just because we got to this point, we didn't even mention that you're actually the boys basketball coach at Park Rose High School. Yeah. Was, that something, was that a stipulation of the job at Elevate or was that extra?
0: Man, there's no way I wanted to coach basketball okay. again. No, yeah. no way in the world, but they kept asking me. They kept asking me, and I'm glad I did it because it further impacts um, uh, what I'm doing here in awesome. the That's awesome. That's awesome,
1: so if you go to a boys basketball game at Park Rose High School this year, God willing, there's a season, you'll see Donnell on the sidelines. Donnell, this has been a lot of fun. We met uh, about a year or two ago. You're very soft-spoken. It's been awesome to get to know you over the table on the microphones. (laughs) For sure. Uh, Your character is so clear to me. I'm grateful we got you in our neighborhood. I want to continue this conversation, but I should probably transition us to the end of this show and we'll have to keep it going another time. Okay. So I'm gonna hit you with our rapid fire four questions.
0: What is your favorite food spot in Park Rose? Favorite food food spot would have to be uh, Bistro 23. Okay, I'm with you. What's your favorite place to be outside in the area? Right now, Park Rose um, high school track or the middle school track. With COVID going on, I couldn't get in the gym. So I've been at one of those tracks every day since March.
1: You're looking ripped still. <laughs> What's your favorite event in the community that you've got to be part of or attend?
0: Anything the Rossies are doing. Their family, man. Uh, their July summer events are just amazing. And they've, been, they've actually invited me to these events. Gabrielle, Joe, Nick, th- th- these guys have really taken me in as, 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 a, as a family member into their into their family. And I've always made sure Joe stayed connected to Park Rose basketball. He did a big uh, uh, event for us this past uh, school year. For Aldo Rossi, his Aldo dad. Aldo would have been yeah. 100 years old. And... Those are the things that mean the most. When, when, when you talk about Elevate Oregon and Park Rose, it's, it's all the same. It's, it's one and the same, and I'm most proud of that.
1: That is awesome. Shout out to the Rossi family. We all Absolutely. know how much they're doing in our community, too. Where can people connect with you more online, or how could they get in touch with you?
0: Yes, for sure. I mean, Elevate Oregon website is uh, elevateoregon.org. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. I'm not I'm not huge in no uh, social media, but we have people that run that. But uh, definitely, please stop by. We're also on LinkedIn, and we're always posting stuff. So we would love to have you follow us.
1: Awesome, Donnell. Thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, sir. Oh my goodness. I had such a good time talking with Donnell. He's an impressive guy, even though he's very humble. He's been all over the world and he's bringing that home to Park Rose. And are you noticing the theme here that all of these guests, this is our fifth show, all of these guests have some type of connection to another guest. And that wasn't intentional necessarily that's just how life can work in park Rose. when people are involved in doing good things we tend to brush shoulders with each other so if there's someone that you have in mind who would be a great interview someone who's doing good things in the neighborhood who's really connected or maybe who's someone who's kind of at the margins who we don't know about yet, but you want to hear them on the show, you can go to parkroselife.com, send me a message or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram also under Park Rose Life, and give us your recommendation for who you want to have on the show next. Or if you yourself want to be interviewed, I'd love to connect. We're making more and more connections here in Park Rose. I'm Brian Atkinson. This is Park Rose Life.